And welcome to We're in Your Bedroom, a podcast where we ask the world's top minds about their finest mattress experiences and just maybe show them the joys of a new shipped and made for you mattress only from, wait, hold on. That's not who we we are. We're the right can't read a podcast about appropriation of culture by the right wing. Well, that's just a bummer. Well, who are you people? And why are you looking at me from the magic window on my desk? I'm the my pillow guy. I thought I was here for the mattress hmm. podcast. I'm here to bring fascism to America. Well, Again. boy, it sounds like you're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> I'll go to the room now. No, I am, I am Robert Sharkey. Hello, Fresh. <laughs> uh, I'm Rachel. Hello, hello, everyone. Your name isn't Hello Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's good to see you all. I am uh, Aaron. Uh, I, I will be guiding you through a uh, just a, a regular hodgepodge odyssey of madness. Uh, today, we're here for a very special thing, a very odd thing, a thing that probably should not have been made. And because it has been made, should be classified as a money pit and little else. <laughs> Rachel, Robert, what do you think of when I say the word Warhammer? I think of how little sex I had freshman year of high school, <laughs> sophomore year of high school, and about halfway through junior year of high school, when I stopped spending money on plastic figurines and instead went on dates. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think of um, Dungeons and Dragons, which I know is not the same thing, but mm. that's just where my mind goes. You're ahead of the game. The truth. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm frankly impressed. Rachel, here I always thought that you were much more socially savvy than the, the two of us. And thus, whenever I brought up things like this, you would just look at me and, and, and I could feel the scorn coming through <laughs> the camera and the very tubes of the Internet. Oh, man. But, no, you're uh, you're already like on page what five of this script, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, for those of you uh, who got kind of hung up on what those things are, uh, we're going to talk about what Warhammer is and uh, why you probably already know a little bit about it already, despite I don't know having sex in high school or college <laughs> or having a good social life. Uh, <laughs> Before I really get into it, though, I want to tell you about how I know about this in the first place. The same way uh, I did, I'm pretty sure. No, actually, because uh, <laughs> I didn't know. Well, I mean, I was not having sex in high school or you know, <laughs> you know, a fair amount of college for different reasons. Uh, mainly had to do because it was in high school, a, a Jewish kid in, in very rural Tennessee, where they thought I had horns for the first several years I lived there. It doesn't really do well for the dating life. Uh, and then I was also very sh am short. And uh, that's also weird to a lot of them. Broad soldiered, tall farmer folk. Um, so in order to talk about <laughs> how I know about it, we, we're going to travel back in time. Okay. So, you know, cue in this music. <laughs> so the winter of 2008, ah, those were the days Bush was on the way out. Obama was on the way. And I still had a modicum of hope that the tea party and their ilk wouldn't exist. <laughs> McCain's embarrassing defeat in the election. I had faith in the system because 
I don't know. I was in a land grant institution and was a lib at that point. Um, we are in, in this universe, we are in Knoxville, where I was getting ready to finish up my undergrad. I was over at a friend's apartment. He was the TA in the religious studies class I was taking that year. And with us was a nice Jewish girl I had a huge crush on. My friend, we'll call him Baphomet, had wandered off to make a drink. <laughs> and I was sitting there with the nice Jewish girl. Let's call her Sylvanus Windrunner. We were chatting until Baphomet. <laughs> we were chatting until Baphomet came into the room again and said, Do you want to see my Warhammer collection? Now, I'm sure that there are people for whom do you want to see my Warhammer collection is the key phrase needed to launch into a tantric bacchanalic ordeal. But that's not what happened here. No, instead, Sylvanas said that she was going to call a friend because she needed to get back to get some studying done. I, <laughs> I checked out the Warhammer collection. Friends, the Warhammer collection was impressive. Arrayed in front of me was a slew of figurines of various sizes, many of which looked like they were taken out of Warcraft and Starcraft. Uh, I, I think I know what Robert's answer is going to be here. So, Rachel, do you know what Warcraft and Starcraft are? Uh, no. Okay. Shark, how about you? Uh, you you tell us what War, Warcraft and Starcraft are. Warcraft and Starcraft were, if you zoom back to like 2008, when I was first achieving sentience as a human being, um, <laughs> those were the games that people who were like a generation before me in gaming were like, these are the best fucking things in the whole world, man. And they were some of those top-down RTSs and some of the first truly sweaty online multiplayer experiences. Exactly. That was my generation of online gaming. It started with Diablo 2 and Warhammer 2 Battle.net edition. And uh, then World of Warcraft came out. Um, the sweaty online gaming experiences nailed it. Uh, I knew I was not cut out for that. My friends and I would get on. We, we were ahead of the game because we had three-way conference calling. Uh, nice. This was before IRC and Discord and Ventrilo and everything. So we would tie up the phone lines in all of our houses. Classic. And sign on to Warcraft 2, Warcraft 3, and Risk 2 <laughs> to basically just make secret alliances <laughs> and team Wait, up. You would people. call people on the phone to grief games of StarCraft? Yep. That is the most 2008 thing I have ever heard. Well, that was uh, 2005, I think, because that was we were doing that when I was finishing up high school. And yeah, 2000, so like landline style up very much. Yeah, 2000, by 2008, I had already yeah. started getting into Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft, and which is where we tie into this. Um, so one of the reasons that these are important to what we're talking about today is they are how I was kind of introduced to this world. Uh, the aesthetic of these games was basically ripped right from Warhammer. Uh, Blizzard at the time was a small developer and did not have the rights to Warha Warhammer uh, or Warhammer, Warhammer 40k. So they took the aesthetics and created Warcraft and Starcraft. Warcraft being the fantasy version, Starcraft being the sci-fi version i like that they split 40k into like two separate genres to deal with copyright infringement we're getting it's nice this ip legislation is all of 
a good chunk of part of the uh, yeah anyway can you really talk about fascism without talking about intellectual property <laughs> you cannot uh they are more and more tied <laughs> look at look, what was that uh, i think it was one of the marvel shows that had uh the flag smasher yeah as a villain and they were just like this cartoon evil version of anarchists <laughs> yeah yep Oh, nice. uh, but thanks, back to Marvel. Baphomet. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, thank you. And Disney. Yep. So these figures that I was looking at, they were painted, arranged in groups, and obviously well cared for. Baphomet told me uh, about his army composition and hastened to add that he didn't really play with other people. He just liked painting the figurines. He found it calming. Man, wife, I can't believe that girl went home instead of being thrown into fits of arousal at what was about to happen. <laughs> right? I don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> baffling so his wife uh didn't understand the hobby but let him have his space because she knew he liked it uh i uh, at this point i was wondering if i should not have said yes to the warhammer collection and instead gone to hang out with sylvanas uh i chose to hang around and we chatted for a little while um now it should be said at the onset of all of this, that I sincerely doubt that Baphomet was someone who would have slipped into the darkness of what we're going to start talking about. How do I know this? Well, Baphomet and I made fun of a dude who was really into Nietzsche in the class that he was teaching. So that means Baphomet is a good dude. Don't ask me to explain that. It's science. At this point. Gay science, as Nietzsche would say. Super gay science. The gayest super of gay all science. science. Uh, at this point, I should explain exactly what Warhammer is what all of what I'm already starting to ramble about is. So please join me as we step into the grim, dark future in which there is only war. Warhammer is a massive, massive property that most people probably haven't heard of. Under this umbrella is a massive web of content. As of this recording, there is a streaming platform dedicated to Warhammer content. 65 video games were released under the Warhammer moniker between 2012 and 2019, Holy with shit. many, many more since then. Yeah, 65. That's wow. nuts. In books, well, I want you to take a guess. I want you to delve into your minds and think of all the nerd goblins you know with an urge to collect everything with their favorite franchise stamped on it. I want you to go into your mind palaces and extrapolate on how many fucking books there might be based on the fact that they licensed out 65 video games in a seven-year span. So how many do you think there are? 200. Okay. Um, I'll go with like. I feel like that's low, but three twenty. Okay, so we have two hundred and we have three twenty. So the correct answer is over four hundred. Jesus, and that's that's just books. The number skyrockets if you bring in comments and short story anthologies because they have short story anthologies. Just consider that number: four hundred books, and the the four hundred have been published since probably, I don't know, 80-something. So that's like, uh, you know, 10 books a year. And it's coming from the the maker of uh, Warhammer, it, or it, no? They, um, they hire writers to basically build the lore okay. for this universe. So the writers 
get into it a little bit. Um, there, there's content within like source books that people use to build armies and play, but a bunch of these are just like extra stuff that people get hired to write for. I, I don't know how that works. I really should, because I feel like I could do this, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I'm too much of a dweeb who gets, no, it must be my vision to, to consider writing for Warhammer. <laughs> So clearly, this is not just a game we're talking about. It's a corporate behemoth. This thing is an apocalypse-class battle cruiser of an intellectual property. Uh, I don't know if you, you picked up on this. Apocalypse-class comes from Warhammer. It's a thing from the thing we're talking about. You get it? Genius. Thank you. That's, just Thank you. that's just how Thank writing you. works. That's, that's how writing works. Take notes. <laughs> so in many ways, this is the apotheosis of what a nerd franchise property is. It spans games, movies, books, cartoons, comics, almost every type of media that's out there. For a time, the parent company, Games Workshop, had an equivalent to British gas valuation. British Gas is the company that that supplies a not insignificant portion of the UK with its fuel needs. Holy shit. This is how big this thing is, right? And for a while, my friend and I had a competition about who could find the weirdest slash fic on the internet. Oh, God. And if you ever want to read a story about mummies having sex with undead elves... Warhammer oh, you must, slash pick is the way you go. You must be talking about the Tomb Kings. Yes. And the, wow. uh, you said undead elves, so you're probably talking about the Dark Elves. Yes. We'll get into that. <laughs> it's fun. It is, we'll talk about it. Uh, so the, the thing is, with, the, with something this big, uh, what makes it interesting is you might be hard-pressed to find people on the street who can tell you what Warhammer is. But it wouldn't be dishonest to say that it's insignificant you know, in the cultural footprint. But what is it? Warhammer is essentially a wargaming tabletop game. Do you know what wargaming is? No. <laughs> I like a good how, definitive no. I like how we brought Rachel onto the podcast just to be way cooler than us for the like, entirety <laughs> yep. of the episode. Uh -huh. No, every <laughs> single time I'm like, I can't believe they still want me to come on. Okay, great. <laughs> Listeners, you can't tell, but Rachel has like a pair of sunglasses that she puts on whenever she shoots down nerd bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Shark, do you know what wargaming is? Of course I know what wargaming is. <laughs> Do you know about the roots of wargaming? Um, my dad is the roots of wargaming. I know. <laughs> my dad was the kind of dad who, when I turned like 12, 13, he bought me like a book that he handed to me. And he was like, this is how you play a game where you have battleships on a table and they all like move around the table by all the rules in Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, essentially. And if you read this whole book, then you can learn how to play together. And I was like, no. Yep. yep. Well, there you go. That's wargaming. Uh, do you want to guess who popularized wargaming? My dad. Your dad. Uh, there were other people who were not your dad, but surprisingly... They, they also had a hand in that, no? So the people who did were the Prussians. Of course. You know what? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So the first war game uh, that I could track in a very low effort attempt to track this stuff was called Kriegsspiel. 
and it was developed by a Prussian military officer from a game that he, like you, Shark, had developed with his father. (laughs) You see, listeners, if you don't know, the Prussians were a nation of people who could not attain erection unless war was involved. Thus, they had to allow war into every facet of their culture. Essentially, you know, kind of shark, you got into it. Gaming it revolves around positioning troops or ships in your case on a on a large board. Uh, commanders are people who uh, basically say what their troops are going to do. And then they pass their orders to an umpire who then determines how the troops interact. What strikes me about this is you have essentially players who are saying that they want to do a thing and they say, I would like to do this thing. And then they defer to the judgment of someone who is acting as, you know, a referee. Basically, the Prussians just play in D&D. You have the umpire who is a dungeon master just cracking open a tome and saying, yes, but really, you're, you failed this check because your, your, your units don't know how to do that in this terrain. My favorite thing about Prussian people that means I will never play a tabletop with anyone from Prussia in the 1800s. <laughs> There's this guy named Karl von Clausewitz who's like the military guy. Like they still read him at West Point. Like he's the dude if you're wondering about military strategy. And the ultimate Clausewitz quote is to secure peace is just to prepare for war. <laughs> and I can only imagine what playing this war game with those people was like. Yeah, it's uh doesn't sound fun it's there there's 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 fun with fantasy stuff and sci-fi um but basically you know these guys are just a bunch of dorks at a table role-playing characters but their characters were themselves rather than wizards freighter captains mentats or net runners so it stewed in prussia for a while until the prussians defeated the french in the franco-prussian war at that point europe was like we got to do that too and it became a thing uh, we military need our tabletop games. We need our table exactly. And uh, you know, if you're interested in learning more, just contact Shark's dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. My my father Carl von Clausewitz. Yeah, your father Carl <laughs> von the Eternal Lich. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about that is that it means that like a bunch of people in Europe were watching like Russian or Prussian nerds with figurines, and we're like, that's why they won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they outclassed us because they knew the rules, <laughs> which I can confirm because I've seen people who LARP get in a yeah. shield wall street fight and yeah. they really beat the shit out of people who don't live action role play. Yeah, uh, I I <laughs> I knew a few people in college who were really big into LARPing and there was a lot of do you know what LARPing is? Yes, I do. OK, uh, Thank so you yeah. for asking. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got it. Rachel's less cool, than, <laughs> as cool as we are this time. Nailed it. Yeah, I knew a bunch of people in college now and now who are really into LARPing. And yeah, it's uh, it's something. But we're going to fast forward to the early 70s. 1970. ABBA. Disco. Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Gary Gygax. That's right. I am making the claim that Gary Gygax is as much of a counterculture icon as any of the early punks. Fight me. In 71, Gygax created a, uh, co-created a medieval wargaming framework called Chainmail after meeting a guy named Don Lowry at a game convention called Gen Con. Yep. 
still around. I hear good things about it, actually. Maybe. I'm not sure if it's good anymore. Perhaps. Anyway, Chainmail was a way for players to, inter- to enact medieval combat and also included fantasy supplements that included rules about, uh, you know, fantasy combat involving elves, wizards, some D&D shit, which makes sense because then in 75, Gygax created the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Wow, 75? 75. Yeah. So One of my favorite possibly apocryphal stories about the creation of Dungeons and Dragons is that Gygax would like leave home for long spaces of time after work. And he'd always tell his wife, like, I'm just going to hang out with friends because you're not going to tell your wife, like, we all sit around a table in a basement. We push figurines into each other. (laughs) So his wife, like, slowly gets convinced over the course of months that he's cheating on her. And so, like, she follows him one day and kicks down the door to the room. And, and, like, four nerds turn towards the sunlight. Like, a female. But I've heard it a few times and I really want to believe it's true. That I like that a lot. <laughs> I I play with a group that has been that consists of people who've been playing together since like I think the early eighties, and they still do that. They're like, yeah, if they're going to be in the same zip code as each other, a couple of them like are we got to make up some kind of lie to get <laughs> to get away? Because oh otherwise, otherwise they're going to be pissed that we're hanging out together instead of with them. <laughs> <laughs> so initially it's a strict wargaming game with a dash of character work. it's uh first edition is not super fun it doesn't really represent what uh D is today uh in fact from what i know about it it's the sort of rule smithing that makes me want to claw my eyes out but what we're interested in here today is in a couple of nerds across the pond steve jackson and ian livingstone there's a great couple of articles from a uh, website called Cardboard Cardboard Sandwich that is now defunct, but you can find in the uh, Wayback Machine from the Internet Archive about the early days of Games Workshop. But the gist of it is this. Jackson and Livingstone, along with a third friend, were in the business of making Go and Backgammon games. Somehow, Gary Gygax heard about them, liked what they were doing, and sent them a copy of Dungeons & Dragons. I'm going to read you a little bit about this uh, from this article because it's endearing in a way that you don't really get in today's world of conglomerate dominated nerd culture. Quoting Livingstone and Jackson didn't just enjoy D&D. They saw it as an opportunity. The game's popularity had grown steadily in the United States and the pair recognized its potential to spread to the UK. They wrote to Gygax ordering another six copies. He responded by offering them exclusive rights to distribute to distribute the game in Europe. At this point, John Peake, the third guy who didn't share his friend's enthusiasm for dungeon delving, left the company. Jackson and Livingstone began selling D&D from their home, gradually building demand for the game by word of mouth and through their owl and weasel newsletter. We were desperate to not let Gary Gygax know that we were running the company from our flat. Livingstone said. But what we didn't know at the time was that he was publishing Dungeons and Dragons from his flat as well. (laughs) Both parties were assuming that the other was some big time operation, but it was very much a fledgling industry at the time. It's just adorable. Just a bunch of nerds trying to impress the others. Wait, but they got turned down from the people that they went to or no? No. So there was a third guy who was working with Jackson and Livingstone and he was not psyched about distributing this game. Mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons. So he left. 
Okay. So Gygax was trying to get them to distribute the game in Europe. They were stoked about it. The third guy left and they started doing distributing D&D. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, after some expansion in Games Workshop, they released Warhammer Fantasy Battles, a war game taking elements of Tolkien, Michael Moorcock, Michael Moorcock, Robert E. Howard, and others, and putting them into a not entirely unique setting. If you've played the recent Total War Warhammer games on PC, these big strategy games that are very fun, you get the gist. The playable factions are variants on historical nations with certain characteristics exaggerated. For example, Not France is a highly stratified society with cartoonish focus on chivalry. The Not Holy Roman Empire is splintered with a bunch of warring lords vying for the seat of the emperor. Not Britain are a bunch of snobbish elves who live on an isolated island and dislike everyone else. Not Egypt are the Tomb Kings, a bunch of mummies. Not United States is a war-obsessed, slave-owning nation of sadomasochists. You get it. Well, for them, the realm of fantasy was not enough. As things were rolling and the company wanted to expand their line of figurines for sale to other, uh, for sailing, selling other armies, they hit on the idea of making kitbashing official. This is a strange term. Does that mean anything to you? You okay. stop me on kitbashing. All right. I am truly the biggest nerd. <laughs> so kit bashing is essentially when a player takes bits from different models and combines, combines them into one model. In other words, bashing together a couple of different kits. So say you wanted to have a big dude in armor with a gun. You would take your knight figurine, replace the sword with a gun, glue it together. Bam. I really wanted it to be like someone making fun of someone else's kit, you know, like kit bashing. I'm well, I'm sure, like you know how dictionaries have the multiple definitions. That's that's definition probably one, and then the the actual definition. Um, the practice was already in play outside official lines with people figuring out how to make sci-fi armies out of the fantasy armies that Games Workshop was already manufacturing, but they hit on the idea to create a fully fledged sci-fi setting. This is from another interview in Cardboard Sandwich, uh, quoting the 40K universe that that came out of this was bleak, dangerous, and engulfed in endless war. Human civilization had expanded across the galaxy, encountering a host of alien species based on typical fantasy races. Elves became Eldar, uh, mysterious, lithe, and deadly creatures traveling on giant spacecraft that served as artificial worlds. Orcs received a science fiction makeover to to become space orcs, essentially a race of green-skinned football hooligans. Uh, Squats, later dropped from the game, were a futuristic take on dwarves. Squats. Yeah, Yeah, they're coming back, apparently. Uh, Now that I've done all this research, Google Assistant thinks I'm really into Warhammer (laughs) and is just sending me tons of articles about it. So they're coming back, apparently. Uh, I just sort of bunged all to all the ideas I could think of into into it. Uh, Priestley said, "We just plundered everything." Obviously, Tolkien was a big influence, and in terms of 40k, there's a lot of Frank Herbert's Dune in there. If you've read Dune, every chapter starts with a bit of an excerpt, and I rather enjoyed that, so I just copied the idea by putting little pseudo bits of fiction in, and thus Warhammer 40k and Grimdark was born. So 
all of that's to set up the background for what the hobby is. But what is the system? What's the meat that Nazis and neckbeards? That is a horrible tabletop RPG idea right there. Nazis and neckbeards. Shark, let's develop this. (laughs) (laughs) It'll just be like Hellboy fighting Nazis and neo Nazis. <laughs> you can only play Hellboy. Is the only playable PC. <laughs> Not uh, what, what's the other guy? Abe Sapien. Just oh, Hellboy. Yeah. No, you, you can play four Hellboys when you get together with your friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm a punching Hellboy. I'm yeah. also a punching Hellboy, but I use both fists. <laughs> I'm white high Hellboy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so in order to answer this question of like what it is that these guys have have latched on to, we I'm sorry, Rachel, we got to talk about the setting. So earlier I mentioned that there are over 400 novels, scores of video games, streaming entertainment, yada, yada, yada. All of that functions to set up the universe of Warhammer 40K. Uh, this is a quote from Rick Priestley. Then the Imperium of Man, uh, an extremely xenophobic fascist empire. Oh, sorry, this is not from Rick Priestley. That was a copy-paste error. This is the pitfalls of using a, of a script. Anyway, so that sets up the universe of Warhammer 40K. Part of this is the Imperium of Man. It is an extremely xenophobic fascist empire that floats around the galaxy in cathedral ships, these giant spaceships that are built with Gothic architecture. Uh, it's... Kind of cool looking, um, but you know. Okay, I'm thinking like, what is it? More not Mormons. Whatever religion has the temples, Latter Day Saints, maybe. The, yeah, that's, the that's big Mormons. temples. That's yeah. what I'm picturing in my head, but spaceship. Yeah. Yeah, think about that with a bit more Notre Dame. Okay. Okay. Uh, and black. And if you if you know what a um, Mon Calamari battle cruiser is in Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> the the big long. You're really pushing your luck yeah. there. <laughs> the long spaceship <laughs> that Admiral Akbar flies in uh, Return of the Jedi with like all the bulb the bulbous things on it. Okay, you know, I probably would remember that if I had seen it recently, but okay. Anyway, they're very large. <laughs> they look like a mixture of that Notre Dame, the the Mormon temples, but just black and red. So uh, the Imperium of Man floats around the galaxy in these things. They send genetically modified warriors known as space marines to scour entire planets of chaos cults, aliens, and other space marines, all in the service of the God Emperor of Man, a corpse on a chair. We're going to go back to Rick Priestley to sum it up. To me, the background to 40K was always intended to be ironic. The fact that the Space Marines were lauded as heroes within Games Workshop always amused me because they're brutal, but they're also completely self-deceiving. Oh, my sweet summer child. (laughs) (laughs) The whole idea of the Emperor is that you don't know whether he's alive or dead. The whole Imperium might be running on super... There's no guarantee that the the Emperor is anything other than a corpse with with a residual mental ability to direct spacecraft. I love when someone makes a piece of art and they're just like, man, I don't see how you could see it as not parody. It's just like, it's why we have this show. <laughs> it's it's why we have this show. And I was talking to a friend about this earlier. Uh, I, I At a certain point, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it, it, they will latch on to it even if they know it's par- if it's parodying them. And, and, the I, we're greatest, getting... yeah. and I'm yeah, sure no. you might mention this later on, but the greatest parody of all is right during Donald Trump's election, there was a meme that circulated with his face 
as the god emperor and it was like welcome to the inspiration for this episode <laughs> nice cool yeah yep i'm sure we'll talk about it oh yeah um back to Priestley. it's got some parallels with religious beliefs and principles and i think a lot of that got missed and overwritten and again sweet summer child <laughs> your 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 precious baby art satire has been co-opted by capital <laughs> such it is so you have a galaxy spanning fascist state that's doing battle against orcs which in this setting are sentient fungus that love war and make their ships work by believing that the ships work eldar space elves that through their hedonism summoned dark chaos gods into existence necrons space mummies tyranids zerg and probably other stuff that I don't know about. Zerg, those are things from StarCraft. They're creepy little critters that eat people. None of this is particularly subtle. It should be mentioned. The warriors of the Imperium wear uniforms that are SS uniforms with bigger shoulder pads and caps. Their ships are, and I cannot repeat this enough, flying cathedrals. They blow up entire planets because this there is a single chaos cult on the planet. They are not the good guys. And yet. Now perhaps this is a problem with marketing. Perhaps it's a problem with genre fiction. If the audience sees themselves reflected in the fiction, especially against those some things that are literally alien, they tend to glomp onto those characters even when they shouldn't be a good thing, TMCR. Take, for example, Judge Dredd or The Punisher. Now, I won't go into a long digression about the Punisher. I think there's enough meat on those bones for a full episode. But I will talk a little bit about Judge Dredd because it's the same thing as Warhammer 40k. Dredd is not a hero. Dredd is judge, jury, and executioner. Dredd comes from a line of comics called 2000 AD that is that are satirical. And they run on the premise that this is a very bad thing to be, TMCR. But oftentimes, especially in America, the audience sees this sort of thing and goes, right, well, there's our guy. So where there is the intention that this is a bad man who does bad things because no one should have that much power, the audience sees him and goes, oh, sick, he's got some fucking guns and blows scumbags away like Charles Bronson does. Let's make a movie with Stallone as dread. <laughs> Trash movie. Don't ever see it. Uh, yeah. In fact... Priestley, the guy that we were talking about earlier, who co-created 40K, he wrote the Dread RPG before creating 40K. So, you know, the parallels, not exactly subtle here. One of my favorite weird things about this is that, like, the Space Marines are just, like, such a clear parody of Robert Heinlein. Yep. And all of those fucking fascists love Robert Heinlein. Yep. And they, like... I don't know, like, yeah, parody's dead, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, they're so clearly <laughs> making fun of Robert Heinlein. Like, it's so fucking weird. But I, I guess these are the yeah. same people that watched the Verhoeven Starship Troopers movie and didn't get that that was making fun of Heinlein, parody's dead, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but, like, fuck these people. Just fuck <laughs> these people. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't, it's something. I think it, the, the term Space Marine has just been so diluted now in sorry well maybe not for you but for me and shark uh that it's just like sci-fi thing and yeah that that whole commentary is a military force being controlled by like an aliens a corporation gone uh all of the subtle bits about verhoven's movie gone it's now just giant dudes with chainsaw guns blowing shit up on planets yeah 
Yeah. All of the criticism is dead. Parody is dead. So that brings us into a question. How did this incredibly obvious exaggeration of the worst parts of humanity get turned into something? Well, we're going to see what it got to in part three. give a countdown after a belch all right <laughs> five four three two you better leave that out one so and now's the time where we start getting sad before i talk to you about the god emperor trump though i want to ask you a simple question what is your relationship with the hacker known as 4chan yeah i don't know much about 4chan <laughs> that's good unsurprisingly maybe Second worst place on the internet. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Are you thinking of like eight coon? No, that's the worst place. Thinking of League of Legends. Oh, which yeah. I will forever that's... posit as the and ties in with this discussion. It started as a Warcraft thing, or uh, yeah, Warcraft. Yeah, it did. Thing. Yeah, it was Warcraft three. It was like a. It was a mod. It was a well. Dota was the mod, and like yeah. that started the whole the MOBA genre. Yeah, and that's, that's crazy yeah. to me. I remember those games like browsing through the the multiplayer servers and be like why would anyone play this yeah <laughs> so those games rachel are like these games where yeah you shark you play the goddamn thing you explain it they're <laughs> games where like you try to like push waves of like small minions into an enemy base okay. and it's a pretty simple concept it's a pretty fun gameplay loop but if you, the way league they're like snowballing games so one small mistake can cost your team everything okay this of course brings out the best in people on the internet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't see what could go wrong with this so you will if you like misclick by two inches you can just get like obliterated by a meteor of criticism that assaults your very like personhood that sounds really fun. I could see why people would play that. Yeah, it's a great time. I played two today. <laughs> really enjoyed it. It's a healthy thing, and I, and I don't know what it is. I'm like not an internet bully in any game. I just like keep the chat off by and large. But in League of Legends, man, someone misclicks, and I just want to kill their whole fucking family. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I hate it. And yet, you keep going back to it. Yeah. Man, the only game I've played in the last like two weeks has been fucking Stardew Valley. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Just building a farm, hanging out with my horse named Shlomo. Sounds lovely. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> I gotta come hang out at your farm, Aaron. No. No. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm not playing this as a fucking multiplayer game. It is my farm. Let me have off. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's strong stance against anarchist communes in the woods extends to the virtual world. Oh, God, it does. <laughs> I will not associate. <laughs> I live alone in an apartment like a good God fearing New Yorker. Even in Stardew Valley. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for those of you who are, are like Rachel and don't know what 4chan is, we must delve into one of the reasons that the internet must be destroyed. <laughs> Think back to what you were doing in the mid late mid to late 2000s. Uh, I, I'm 
we kind of already went over to this, but I want to get into a little bit of a specific detail. And I'm also curious because you two are younger than I am. I, who am a living corpse directing space traffic from my throne. <laughs> what was your relationship to the internet in the mid to late 2000s? What was happening in the mid to late 2000s? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of just like instant messenger. Mm-hmm. And I know that doesn't really count. And then I'll, like MySpace. Yeah. That's about it. That's fair. To be honest. Yeah. It sounds healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Comparative. Yeah. Shark, how about you? Uh, I was, you know, like 12, 13, 14. And this was the place where I first, I was on like gaming forums and I was on like weird hobbyist forums. And of course, like the classic late 2000s internet stuff like Chris Chan and Fortune oh, and yeah, yeah, all of that. those like early meme culture things I was big into because I was yeah. 13 and all 13 year olds are monsters who must be purged. Yep. <laughs> yep. I think I was uh my thing then was like collegehumor.com. I was in college. Nice. So that made sense. They're coming uh, back around. Are they? Yeah, they're my favorite DM online is on college humor brennan lee mulligan he's great okay interesting yeah. huh. um so them cracked.com um the thing that would eventually yeah. become the sad news industrial complex via <laughs> exactly. Cody johnston and yeah i remember Robert reading Evans. his articles and yeah. and katie's on that those yeah. and uh much other people who are not worth following on twitter no. um so yeah that you know and then i never got into 4chan but i was on like e-bombs world which was mm-hmm. like something awful light you you were older and wiser than i i, I, I like, also have a very low threshold for a lot of that bullshit and it's just gotten worse over the years i was on both something awful and 4chan at those times oh god yeah so shark you you probably already know this uh but 4chan was and is functionally an image post posting board someone posts an image with a caption and people respond others respond to those responses and a thread is born as new threads get created old threads are pushed off and you get a never-ending cycle of content the site is split into various smaller boards that are split into topics ranging from sports to several different kinds of porn and nerd shit to even more different kinds of porn. One of those boards is Poll, P-O-L, the politics board. Uh, I did some cool little reading about this on on journals online, and I'd like to start uh, citing a write-up on this board from Boundary 2, a journal from Duke University. Quoting, Despite once showing this commitment to maintaining a news board that was not dominated by far-right content, Poll nevertheless followed suit and gained a reputation as a haven for white supremacist politics. A common opinion on 4chan is that Poll serves as a, quote, containment board for the neo-Nazi, racist, and other far-right interests of many who use the website. Someone who posts a blatantly political message on the TV, television, and film board, for instance, may be told, Go back to your containment board. In other words, this is me saying this, uh, the board is, for lack of a better term, a cesspit. Users of the board have organized raids against things like uh, Shia LaBeouf's art installation called He Will Not Divide Us. And I'm going to go into this a little bit because, uh, you know, I, I don't have a high opinion of Shia LaBeouf's acting. He seems like an all right guy, I guess. I don't know. But the this intrusion of poll 
into real life is a good uh, representation of uh, why containment as an idea is bullshit. And you, you can't rely on that for anything. So we're going to go into this. Raid participants who coordinated on poll and other far-right websites flashed white nationalist paraphernalia, neo-Nazi tattoos, and within five days of opening, directly told LaBeouf Hitler did nothing wrong while he was present at the art exhibit. LaBeouf was later arrested and charged with misdemeanor assault against one of the people who went to his art exhibit with the intent of disrupting it, though the charges were later dismissed. High-profile liberal advocates of free speech causes did not draw attention to the implications of a Jewish artist's exhibit being canceled due to constant harassment by neo-Nazis and other far-right elements. New York Magazine's Jonathan Chait, one of the most high-profile liberal opponents of, quote, politically correct suppression of speech, spent his time policing the limits of discourse by criticizing anti-fascist political activists. The eight... (laughs) Oh, it gets better. The ACLU spent its energy at this time defending former right-wing celebrity and noted pederast advocate Milo Yiannopoulos against his critics. So rather than talking about uh, how fucked up it is that a Jewish artist was being uh, targeted in real life by Nazis, ACLU is like, let's defend Milo Yiannopoulos. And you never see the Anti-Defamation League chip in on this stuff either, which should tell you, uh, my fellow Yids in the audience, if if your parents contribute to the ADL, maybe you should have a talk about maybe directing that money to better places. It's always funny how these organizations have like a few pet causes and then they just spend all their time defending right-wing fucking assholes to make themselves look unbiased. It's fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> real fucked up and there's also i don't know i always kind of see this stuff in the jewish community as like people being like oh well you know it's things are getting bad you can always go to israel and i'm like your whole argument about israel is that they should exist to step in for jews in other countries they've been fucking nowhere for the u.s we don't see Mossad coming in and killing off neckbirds we should redact allegedly in minecraft dude i would love fucking israel if the Mossad came in. I mean, if they stopped killing Palestinians. Yes. And, then, <laughs> and step one. And then give them water. Yeah. Tear yeah. down the giant fucking wall that's yeah. containing them. Yeah. And then the Mossad started just like fucking shooting like Richard Spencer. Oh my God. Yeah. It'd be wonderful. Holy Maybe shit. there would actually be repercussions for these motherfuckers, but there won't and, be. And you know you can do it because fascists killed a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. in the 60s and 70s. Fascists not from this country and no one gave a fuck. So that's my pitch. If you're listening to my podcast, Parliament of Israel. (laughs) The Knesset, if you are listening. Stop killing Palestinians, one. Start killing Nazis again, two. Including (laughs) Netanyahu, maybe number one. Oh, that guy. Um, Motherfucker. So this is going to be used as ammunition. Against <laughs> yeah, we got to cut that. Yeah. You can't say that, Aaron. So uh, let's start again now. <laughs> Your own opinions about LeBeau's acting notwithstanding, I think we can agree this is not okay. But if you're familiar with 4chan, this is just kind of what happens. I myself lived with a few people who lived on 4chan, and they played games like Kill the Jew, 
they were shocked to hear that I was enraged at the game and didn't understand why I couldn't tell. It was just a joke, man. Now, I say all of that to set up a simple thing. In 2015, the poll board being a terrible place filled with the worst images, reactions and thoughts of humanity, latched on to Trump with reckless abandon. Images of Trump as the God Emperor, what you were talking about earlier, Shark, started filling up the forums, and indeed, this spilled out into real life. Milo Yiannopoulos, a horrible person for many reasons, went on TV and used the term. Images started showing up at Trump rally. Trump appointed Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, and that guy basically sees Republican presidents as God Emperor. Hell, even the National Review posted an article about it. Though, I will say, uh, this kind of says more about the National Review not understanding anything that's not policy wonk, I guess. Uh, they thought it was a reference to God Emperor of Dune instead of Warhammer 40k. <laughs> that's way cooler. <laughs> and as a Dune head, I want to come out and state that Leto II is a better administrator and ruler than the God Emperor of Warhammer 40k. I would happily live under Leto II's rule. It seems nice if you're not like trying to kill the giant Saiyan Emperor, God Emperor. I really like how you included administrator in that title. <laughs> like <laughs> The vast swaths of that book are about how to run an administration. Wow. <laughs> like... There's a great, there's, I love that book. It's great. One of the great lines in it, like his advisor is like, why do you keep hiring former revolutionaries and putting them into your circle of of counselors? Well, they're the best ones who are equipped to deal with problems when they arise. (laughs) It's, it's Frank Herbert's thoughts on bureaucracy turned (laughs) into a 500 book page book about a giant man worm. It's fantastic. So what happened effectively is that Paul broke containment because the idea of containment is bullshit and society as a whole got measurably worse. This tends to happen whenever the shrillest of nerds get any sort of real media focus. I point you toward Gamergate a couple of years before the Trump means and roughly around the same time that the God Emperor Trump stuff started popping up for many in in the press Gamergate. Rachel, do you know what Gamergate was? be honest, I have tried to like figure out what it was, but I haven't found a very succinct explanation. Okay, I will try to give you a succinct explanation now. Gamergate kicked off when a game video game reviewer or journalist, I think she was just I don't know what oh, she was. Oh, it was on. about like females but, not on the or women not on the internet or something. Kinda. Uh so okay. basically there were these wild accusations of her sleeping her way to access for video games weird and then it turned into this whole thing of like gamers need to rise up and speak against politics intruding into games and then it turned into uh, okay. the right wing because it was co-opted by people like well not even co-opted just milo yiannopoulos just slid in and started recruiting all of these people into uh neo-nazidom ah. okay uh, so Horrible nerds being horrible online, and then it turned into real life. Um, For many in the press, Gamergate was the first look into the really dark side of internet fandoms. Paul breaking uh, containment more fully bridged the gap between those fandoms and the more online elements of the extreme right. So I could ask you why you think they chose Trump as their guy, but it doesn't matter. I have this question in the script. Doesn't matter he's a shithead they're a shithead they're rubes they 
think he was great because they're rubes and Trump preys on rubes. There's the answer. So, you know, again, containment was breached and War- Warhammer 40K's fash fans started making more noise. Chief among them was, and really still is, a guy who used to go by Arch Warhammer. I say used to because after the events that we'll talk about in a second, Games Workshop threatened a lawsuit if he didn't drop the word Warhammer from his YouTube channel name. Arch was, as far as these things go, a really well-known name for his videos about Warhammer lore. If you know one thing about nerds, it's that there are a few things we love more than ocean deep lore. Shark, what is your reaction when you pick up a genre fiction book and find that it has appendices? I mean, this is why you know all of Dune. My personal fucking deep dive into genre fiction appendices is always Lord of the Rings. Yep, that makes sense. The, the family trees. And I know the trees and I've read the translation of all the bullshit out of songs. It's like, hell yeah. <laughs> nice. That's the stuff. Yep. We love it. Yep. <laughs> it's It's our thing. So Arch Warhammer, he makes a living doing these lore videos about Warhammer, right? For a while, he's fairly innocuous. Comes across Wait, as is a, he like making the lore or just like no, sharing he, it? He's like, just sharing it. He okay. is making videos that explain what's happening in books. For example, okay. there is, I, I don't even know how many fucking books. It's like 15 or 20, something like that. Book series called The Horus Heresy. Okay. And people fucking love it. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> whatever but if you go on youtube and you type in like horus horus heresy explainer you'll see like these hour-long videos delving into things and okay, okay. it's Got yeah it. it's intense so you know he he comes across as a dickhead but he's a, a nerd who makes warhammer lore videos what do you expect but in 2020 something changes games workshop releases a statement saying that warhammer is for everyone and everyone is welcome in response, a group called No More Damsels releases an open letter calling for Games Workshop to put some skin in the game and take actionable steps to make the community a better place. See, before this, minority and identifying players had spoken out about their treatment in tournaments and in retail shops. Games Workshop's statement came across as typical corporate PR world word jumble that expresses the right idea, but that doesn't actually point in the direction of them doing anything. So this group, No More Damsels in London, figures that there's not enough uh, action behind this, and they start organizing to force the community to be a better place. It should come as no surprise that a YouTuber reacted in the worst way possible. His videos have been taken down from YouTube, but I'm going to quote a Vice article about this whole thing. Quoting, some in the 40K community felt that Games Workshop should not have made a statement at all. One member <clears throat> is Norway-based YouTuber Arch, known as Arch Warhammer, until a recent trademark dispute with Games Workshop prompted a name change. He launched an email campaign in July, this is 2020, urging his 200,000-plus subscribers, 200,000, uh, urging them to email Games Workshop and tell them to keep politics out. In 2020, this is when everyone's just sitting in their houses. They have nothing else to do. Yep. Right. Which may be one reason that you see a lot more people radicalized to the far right. Yeah, saying YouTube must be destroyed. Arch says that he does not identify as a member of the far right and insists that he was genuinely not aware of any alt-right or fascist section of the 40k community. 
Rather, he takes the view that Games Workshop's statement was tantamount to aligning itself with, quote, extremists who support communism, and he says, advocate violence. Arch saying, for me, this is the same kind of dog whistling that we hear about for the alt-right, where they talk about some of their code phrases, he explains via Discord. This seems to me to be a signal to a very small group of extreme people. What my campaign is saying is that Warhammer is for everyone. Full stop. Now, you probably notice a few specific things in there. Arch accusing them of dog whistling, trying to co-op the damsel's language to make it seem like they're the exclusionary ones. All of that bullshit. Well, after that, leaks from Arch's Discord surfaced on the left-wing subreddit Sigmarxism, a place for lefty Warhammer nerds to share idiot memes. Sigmarxism, wonderful name. Sigmar in the the universe is like the the human main main god for the fantasy guys. Sig Marxism makes me makes me smile. (laughs) Uh, So those screenshots from Arch's Discord were unsurprisingly anti-Semitic, anti-Black, and anti-Roma. There's a whole lot of shit in there. God, I love when someone has like an old-timey racism, like a genuine old-timey racism. I don't remember if I put this in the script, but he is also anti. uh, I think it's Sami. The ethnic group in like northern Finland and Scandinavia. That's oh, like yeah. that's so specific. That's very I, specific. Why? Because he's from Norway, and I guess uh, that's their version of Roma. Because I don't know if there's a lot of wow Romani population <laughs> in Scandinavia. Just when you talk to a fascist, and they're like, "I think all Sicilians should be purged." It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, yeah. man. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, If you want to get into the specifics and really roll around in the filth, Vice has a good article that I'll link to in the show notes. And there's a YouTuber who goes by the Cavernacle who has a video called Why the Warhammer 40k Community Has a Nazi Problem. But to put it succinctly, Arch started harpooning uh, his own career by railing against what those tanky SJWs were doing. And throwing out insane claims that if Games Workshop were to ally themselves with no more damsels, they would be aligning themselves with extreme communists who advocated horrific violence. You know, the horrific violence of making sure non-white players felt okay playing a game they liked. But the cherry on top, the real Ben Shapiro-ness of it all, comes from this quote. I view that as the rest of society's duty to debate these people and prevent them via the public discourse and the public opinion. Oh, my God. Public discourse. Oh, my God. Debate me, bro. What a fucking asshole. So in conclusion, in this part of our narrative, YouTube is decadent and depraved and must be destroyed if we are to have luxury space communism. Do you agree or do you disagree? For sure. Nodding in approval. Good. Must be destroyed. My favorite thing about the whole fucking No More Damsels thing is that they're just like a group of women who are like, hi, we like tabletop games. And there are no they're other women really cool. who play like, tabletop games <laughs> with us. So like maybe yeah. we could all get together and make tabletop games less weird. Yeah. And they, you know, it, it, it's they did the right thing and be like, you know, the Games Workshop released a statement. Games Workshop, please tell us how you're actually going to do something about this. And they don't have like a political stance. They're just like, can I play a tabletop game with other women? It's like the only, like, that's their only fucking point. It's just like nuts. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Terrible. 
it's it, it yeah, yeah it's fun so all of this would be well and good if it stopped there no uh, no it wouldn't it would it would still be bad because <laughs> this existed i don't know what i was thinking when i wrote that but uh, everything you know, is fine and good aaron everything is fine and good <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> If only the Warhammer community chilled the fuck out after Archer's shenanigans were shut down. Alas, the Nazis are still there, fucking things up for people looking to have an otherwise solidly good time. In 2021, a dude sporting outright Nazi patches showed up to play in a tournament in Spain. Guess what his uh, registered name was? I'm sure I'm going to hate it. What is it? Austrian painter. Nice. Nice. Uh, unrelated, unrelated to any other Austrian painters. Completely unrelated to anything. Yeah. Despite being in Spain, nowhere near Austria. Nope. Yeah. 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 Uh, can't possibly refer to anything. Nope. So I'm going to start quoting here from a website called Bell of Lost Souls. It's a nerd blog. That's why you haven't heard of it. <laughs> so what did the organizers do? Well, nothing much, at least to the Nazi. According to reports from the event, this Nazi was allowed to play without penalty. When some players refused to play against him, good for them, the event organizers didn't even do the bare minimum and allow and allow for a repair. So, in other words, when people refused to play against this guy, they did not say, yeah, all right, we can shift you to another poop. So another then did they make person. them play against him or did they, they have to uh, like they, forfeit or something? Yeah, they had to play against him or they... Uh, well, here we go. Next paragraph. Indeed, the damn Nazi was allegedly given full points for the round as the other players had been deemed to concede. Boo. Rather than suffering any punishments, the Nazi was rewarded. And players who, like anyone in their right mind, felt uncomfortable with sitting down for a friendly game with a literal Nazi were punished. To put it mildly, not cool. Now, this is, of course, not a unique incident. If you look around the internet about this topic, you can find a ton of people commenting about how they find themselves paired against weird dudes, and it's always a dude, with SS runes slathered all over as space marines. You'll find stories about being harassed for speaking Spanish in stores. All of that deep-seated, insecure, nerd-lashing-out bullshit that you'd really hope people would grow out of after high school. Alas, it doesn't go away. See, here's the thing. It's really hard from what I've dealt with to get nerds to change. As a rule, we're very attached to the things that we like. And I'll say that whenever I brought up, hey, this is a problem to my to people in my little nerd niches, whether that's Star Wars, Metal, Dune, whatever, some other fucker will sit there and scoff telling me that I'm blowing it out of proportion and read too much negative shit on the Internet. Now, that's not entirely wrong. I do read too much negative shit on the Internet. But I think part of the reason I get that reaction from people is that for some nerds among us, the stuff we like is all that we really have. The world is pretty goddamn cruel. And even in big cities, it can be really hard to find people to call your friends. So you start down the unhealthy route of attaching your identity to stuff that you like, whether that be Star Wars, Marvel, fucking Alien, I don't know. And thus, when the stuff you like gets criticized, you take it as a criticism of you. It thus becomes a vicious, vicious cycle that left unchecked uh, can lead to someone turtling up and identifying more with reprobates than with people who want communities to be better. Uh, you know, on that note, I was listening to uh, Blank Check the other day about the movie Cabaret, which is a good movie. I've never seen it before. 
you should watch Cabaret. Uh, and they were talking about this episode of Dan Harmon's podcast. And he was talking about, I think, the Unite the Right rally and said, you know, it boils down to if you're feeling that you don't have anyone and you're completely alone, but across the street, there's a Nazi holding out his hands to you. Do you cross the street? And I think that's kind of the central point here is a lot of these people are just dead alone. So with that in mind, let's talk about how this little subculture could possibly be made better. Break starting part four. So after that mad god-esque travel through the hell of 4chan and YouTube, and even if I didn't go as in-depth as I could have, we should probably take a time for a little bit of a palate cleanse. You know how earlier I mentioned No More, no more Damsels and we chatted about them a little bit? I'd like to talk about them some more. Uh, first thing, if you search for them online, make sure you find the tabletop RPG group based out of London. There's another No More Damsels, but they're a self-defense company. While that is admirable and necessary, that is not what we're talking about. Uh, in a broad sense, I cannot say how cool this group is. Their website contains a veritable onslaught of materials of how to make your game more inclusive, as well as anti-racist education, links to places that specialize in diverse miniatures, and links to some very valuable GM resources. GM meaning Game Master. There are those, uh, or they are, one might say if one was so inclined, the exact right way to handle issues of diversity in game. Not only make the criticisms, but provide the tools for people to do better. I really recommend reading their response to Games Workshop too. It's a master course in trying to hold corporations actually accountable for their commitments. I'd also like to point out Bell of Lost Souls write-up of the Spanish Nazi, within, which ends with this. Sadly, this isn't something that just random players can change. At Talavera, individual players did the right thing and refused to play against a Nazi. This was the right call. And if you find yourself in a similar situation, I suggest you also do that. Don't give them a platform. But sadly, uh, because the organizers didn't take action, the damn Nazi was rewarded and players doing the right thing were punished. That cannot continue. We need action, but lack of action in this situation is the same, same thing as tacit support for the Nazis and for DK. We cannot allow that. They need to be told to go home. They are not welcome here. And Goes as, a, as a side note, um, institutional support is great, and taking the measures to get institutional <clears throat> support is a good place to start. And then if you don't, there are other options. There are other options. I yeah. legally cannot suggest them, yeah. but they do <laughs> exist. And <laughs> yeah. they, they're out there. You shouldn't do them, but they're real and they exist yeah. and they could be done by people. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about this a bit in our metal and Viking stuff, but, you know, it, it, it just goes back to uh, the Twitter thread that gets circulated all the time about the bar owner who uh, there's a journalist in a bar. And he sits down and this dude comes into the bar and he sits down at the bar next to this guy and the bartender just goes, you get the fuck out. And the dude starts protesting, but he leaves. So the journalist asks the bartender, what was that? And the bartender says, well, he was a Nazi. You can't let them stay. Otherwise, they bring their Nazi fan friends in. Everyone else gets pushed out and you're a Nazi bar. Did you say everyone gets pushed out? Yes, I did say pushed out. And that was Genius. on purpose. That was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> 
Genius. Yes. <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think there is one subculture that I, well, oh, no, no, I was about to make a very dumb comment there. Say it. Uh, well, I was going to say, oh, yeah, the soccer fans are always good about this. But I'm like, no, they're not. There are tons of Nazi hooligans. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't like in uh, in redacted, the supporters of both the men and women's team are pretty well known for being solidly anti-racist and on the right side of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rachel, I know you've got kind of a connection to that yeah. and that you like it. So. Yeah. And yeah, you can always count on them to have like really pointed signs and um, banners and, you know, they are not afraid to speak the truth and try and get the attention of, you know, the front office and they want to make a change. So yep. yeah, it's nice. Yep. I, I ate many a, many a granola bar from a truck with that logo on it. That's right. I forgot they were, <laughs> they, they popped around for a little while there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That they was were cool. around for a while. Yep. Giving out granola bars? And like water to people yeah. who are, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it, I don't care about soccer, but it made me really want to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've like been to really a couple. Cool. Yeah, I've been to a couple of the uh, Redacted's games and they're very fun. I, yeah. I just, yeah. 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 They're a good time. So, you know, in addition to all this, you know, institutional change, extra institutional change, there are memes. We can always meme. The, the third column. The third column. Uh, so I would I would advise you to go check out r slash Sigmarxism. It is way over my head, but there are some things on there that are kind of funny, even if they are so steeped in the Warhammer lore that I have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, maybe might not be your thing, whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I've got all of this talked about a lot. So I want you to kind of think about this, Rachel. I know you run about seven tabletop campaigns ranging from third edition D&D, 5E, you do Pathfinder, Starfinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you look, yeah, you've talked down to me for running Dune because it's not crunchy enough. <laughs> uh, so like, how do you deal with this shit at your table? And I, I also know because you're going to play coy with me and don't do this shit. I know you've got like Orc, Eldar and Chaos Marine armies. <laughs> So how do you think you can save your fellow Uber nerds from going down the stigma to Nazi pipeline? Oh God. What kind of question is that, Aaron? We <laughs> 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 uh, like threw a, a bunch of gibberish. Like a gatling. No, I actually follow it. <laughs> I was holding so much of it back throughout the script i just <laughs> needed to get it out <laughs> uh, no i feel like i would be more of a person that would just be really obsessed with like painting the uh what are they called i don't want it figurines yes figurine okay i didn't want to use that if it wasn't the right no, it's but... like i think like miniature i don't know what the actual yeah so i don't know if i would get into the role playing but i would really probably love the the make you know making yeah. them and painting and like modifying them and we'll get you into a campaign I'm going to do a cyberpunk thing at some point. I think you would enjoy cyberpunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shark, how about you? You, you, you legitimately play campaigns beyond the thing that you and I do. So like, do you run, I assume you have not run into this, but you might've talked to people who have like, what, what's your take on all of this? I mean, I've run into this, especially early in my tabletop career when it was like six outcasts white dudes huddled around a basement table 
Mm. Um, and in some ways being like 13 and edgy participated yeah. in this in my own way. And it's like, if you DM for these campaigns, someone gets one fuck up. Mm. Like in my table, that's a hard and fast rule. Someone gets one fuck up. And then if you say a second, like, thing that's going to keep other people from enjoying the game i'm just gonna ask you to leave yeah i think that's fair yeah yeah that's legit i i am very 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 lucky to have only dm'd or gm'd or run games for groups that are pretty solidly good like the only times that things have gotten weird are like in the instances where the group has okayed the segment of weird because everyone is just like fully bought into the madness of using a corpse as a meat puppet. <laughs> that was okay for the group. So it's just like, all right, we're going to deal with the bloodlust in this way, I guess. But I know like you and I shark, we play with a guy who is deeply involved with another thing entirely. And there's a lot of, it's like looking through a different, it's like, you know how sometimes you, you're like on a bus or a car or whatever, and you drive through another neighborhood and everything's just weird. And like, <laughs> there are things that are like, this seems dangerous. What's happening here? That's what it feels like whenever I'm talking to him about his universe yeah. there. And yeah, there's a term that should probably be retired, really thinking about it called murder hobo where like the players are just these transient party of warriors and everything and their solution becomes just kill everything and one of the things that he deals with is like people who just want to do that but also insists that they are reckless like being for lack of a better word woke and it's it's a yeah i've never had to deal with that which i'm very grateful for but yeah, I think that rule of like, you get one fuck up to make people unsettled and then you're out. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. Cause otherwise you don't really know what the boundary is, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like it can just. Yeah. And I, I think like no more damsels has some good resources about like, there's a, there's an idea of like session zero where you have a talk with the, the entire table before you start playing. And it's like, all right, what are we here for? Is there anything that we need to be be aware of, of like people's you know, traumas that that might surface, you know, that kind of stuff? And that's a really good approach. Uh, that even pops up in a game that I have called Dialect, where you, with the other players in the game, just build a fake language, and then it evolves and dies throughout the course of the game, and it's really cool. Yeah, but they yeah. they dedicate some space in the book to hear how you do table agreements. Yeah, I'm on their website right now, and it looks. Yeah, like they have a lot of good resources for like codes of conduct and like how to like, yeah, representation and fantasy book suggestions, like anti-racism resources. I think that's a really cool. Yeah. And there is one thing in particular that I want to highlight that I think they've got posted on their website. Um, So one of the things with D&D is every race has strengths and bonus, like strengths and weaknesses. So like dwarves are hardy and strong, so they get bonuses to constitution, strength, other stuff. Um, and then you have like the, the, the opposite of that, where if like you're playing an orc character or like half orc uh, in this universe, you are more predisposed to being evil and dumb. And there is a resource on No More Damsels, I think, where it's like someone in this broad community came up with an idea 
uh, of replacing that system with race and ancestry. So the idea is like you may be a dwarf, but you could have grown up in like a halfling society. So you can get like the combination of both and not have to worry about all of the negative bullshit. So it's really cool. And uh, I like that a lot. And I wish more campaigns ran with that That as an idea. And the reason that sticks out to me is because occasionally everyone's favorite shithead, Jordan Peterson, pops (laughs) up with a statement like, well, Ashkenazi Jews are shown to be more intellectually superior to white populace by an average of 15% given their, and it's just, you you fucking read the the 5E manual and decided that we were all wizards. You have a minus one to con. That's just good science. It's just good science. We have a minus one to con and we suffer minus two to dex. (laughs) My other favorite tool when running a tabletop campaign is like learn some of the tools of like postmodern literary analysis. I know that sounds weird. Oh my God. (laughs) I want to be in your session zero. We're going to start off with Young. (laughs) But like genuinely, one thing I always try to think about, like one of my favorite tools that I use all the time is like, what if the thing I had just written, I changed the gender? is like a classic tool. Like what if you read Jane Austen and flipped everybody's gender? That's a really interesting way to read Jane Austen. And I started doing this in my campaigns a lot. And I noticed that like, I'd be like, and there is Urak, the orc warrior. And he's like strong and powerful and muscular. And he like fuck shit up. And he's got this big war ax. And just because of like playing fantasy games so long, something everyone does. I, when I started flipping genders, I noticed that, if I took my female characters and made them male, my descriptions were a lot more, like I included the cool stuff, but it always mentioned like, and they're beautiful or et cetera. And it yeah. felt weird to do for male characters. And then it was like, wait, maybe I just don't need to like one to 10 every female character in my game. And that's just something I learned from like years of playing tabletop with girls. Or you do that for the male characters too. Yeah, which is actually <laughs> the thing I learned to do, and I did yeah. a lot more. And I that's love. legit. There, there was a good. There was a fun. Oh, sorry, Shark. Go ahead. Oh yeah, just every player fucking loves it. If you're like, and then there's Chad, the Goliath barbarian, <laughs> yeah. and he's fucking yoked, and he's got the glistening sweat and rock hard abs, and your players like love that shit, and no one ever does it. it no, like, it is. Yeah, I, I, I always, I. It doesn't happen a lot in my games because that's not how I typically like describe characters in my fiction either. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 I've always had a problem of w- one of my like mentors and my uh, master's degree described a draft of what I was working on as just uh, formless voices speaking in a void. <laughs> and I was like, I guess he's right. I need to spend more time on description. You'd have been but, huge in Russia at the turn of the century, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, and I think part of that was like I just grew up reading really weird shit. And so I didn't like pick up on a lot of like trends. But um, there's a good post on Six Sig Marxism a while ago. It was like someone mocking up a screenplay uh of the Horus Heresy, and it was done in the style of Max Landis, and it was like Horace upset and he is hot as hell, but he's not confident at all. <laughs> and it was just so I mean the the it, it I think that is a very it's a it's a crutch of a lot of like per, I assume mainly dude writers yeah. is just you fall into these like just 
quick descriptions that you're just going to fall like fling off at the drop of a hat. And, you know, one of the things that I like about the, the Dune system that we're running, uh, and I think this has kind of done a good job of setting me up to avoid a lot of those, is we had to build the entire house at the start as session zero, which led to a lot of fun things. So yeah. we've got uh, the, the Marshall Fluffy, who is... <laughs> Pops out of garbage can. <laughs> yeah, it's just you lead into fun things when you collaborate yeah. more with people. Yeah, and right with that in mind. Yeah, and like genuinely, um, like trope inversion. If you're playing like yep. a classic fantasy game, like D and D five E, is the best part of the game. And like, you will not. Fantasy is so fucking sexist and racist that if you just do a lot of trope inversion, you will normally escape all of that. Yeah, which is another my other favorite thing. Yeah, my my general rule for like the fantasy thing is I bounce off of things if it's just written to the trope. And one of my rules, one of my like kind of go tos for for tabletop systems is if there is such a thing as a scroll of protection against lawful. Or a scroll of protection against evil. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> not for I'm you. Out. Yeah, not for me. That's Rachel. For your reference, uh, lawful and evil refer to alignments. Okay. So your character may be lawful evil, which means that they are evil, but they have a code that they uh, ascribe to, and this goes into, uh, you know, like there are planes of existence that are described as lawful evil. Okay. And okay. then on the micro side, they're like weapons that are lawful evil. Yeah, it's I don't very deep in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm out at that <laughs> point. I don't. I don't want my fucking sword to treat me different if my character is okay. Uh, yeah, I yeah a monk. Uh, oh man, I live for that shit in Five E. <sighs> nope, <laughs> not for me. That's not the kind of story I want to. Pl- I want to tell. <laughs> All but the, I also trend more towards sci-fi, which doesn't really lend itself to that a lot of the time. Because everybody's evil. <laughs> everyone's, yeah, a lot of the time everyone's evil because, yeah, I really wanted to do a cyberpunk campaign. I think that'll be fun. That, that's a good time. Yeah. One of my, um, the reason I love, like, and I know the alignment chart and, like, racial backgrounds are seen as, like, a very negative thing in the gaming world. But my other big beef with, like, throwing out alignment is that just fucking okay. change alignment like i mm. all of all of my games and i can't seem to stop doing it are about like the weird monstrous races quote unquote quoting the source material that live outside of society like goblins and kobolds and gnolls and shit um it's about them the heroes fucking up white people in plate armor mm. and like you to just make the British Empire the villains of your fantasy novel. They were the actual villains of real yeah. life fantasy novels. <laughs> yeah. Like just invert the tropes. Make it fun. They're bad guys. I, I think my thing is it's just the mechanics of gameplay that turn me off of that. Yeah. Like the idea of it, I, I understand. And like I can get behind the idea. It's just too much crunch. You do like a very, a very soupy system. I love a soupy system. Yeah. I love just get there in the broth, have everyone like throwing in some celery, some potato, just stir it up, let it soup, let it sit for a little bit. Yep, that's my favorite. Yeah. I love it. 
<laughs> Rachel, do you think less of us now? No, I'm just trying to still figure out what crunchy and soupy means. Oh, okay. So, yeah, crunch is a term that's refer that's used to refer to like how many rules there are. Okay. In the okay. System. So, like, there are sure. like if you get into a system that's like you have to pay attention to how much movement you are doing on difficult terrain with certain modifiers. Jesus Christ. And like environmental things. Like that's where the like the 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 wargaming aspect of it is. Because okay. that's like DD first edition and like advanced were very, very crunch heavy. Okay. They would have rules for like how much damage you have if you hit an enemy somewhere on their body that was then determined by like another dice rule. There was a a, a stat called FACO, which is two hit against armor armor class zero. That is, I feel it's one of these things where I read the description and as I'm reading it, I'm like, no, this makes sense. And then five minutes later, I'm like, that's not, I don't, what is this? It just slides right off okay. of the screen. Got it. So that's crunch. And then the soupy system that Shark is talking about is like what we're running now, which is like a system called like 2D20, where like your character has a total of what, like 12 stats? Yeah. And some of the stats are like more solid things, like how far you move, how how you communicate, and then the other stats are like your values, like what you hold dear. Okay. And the rules are pretty light, like it's soupy. Okay. Yeah. No, those descriptions <laughs> open make to sense. interpretation, and I like open to interpretation very much. Like this is a narrative thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And cyberpunk, the one that I'm, I'm going to pull you into eventually, is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of more on the crunch side, but I feel like there's enough cushion in it where it can be made soupy. Okay. Turn from a... Uh, weirdly, I'm following. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we go, we're getting to you. Welcome to Tabletop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Dude, I, I think that's, that's all I really want to talk about with the Nazi shit. Uh, it's on the scale of things that we've talked about on the podcast so far, you know, putting aside Milanopolis, not the worst, but still not good. So do you, do you all have any final thoughts here? I, just because I've been watching the, uh, the Amazon show, the boys, um, I've been watching the second season and I just finished the last episode. Um, the whole, like the marketing and, um, like everything around Warhammer and how they're like trying to reduce, like, you know, if their audience is like younger people, for lack of a better term, like I don't want to say children, but like younger people, you know, it's like the humans are the good guys and everyone else is like a bad guy, even though that's not really the case here, right? right? It's like I have been thinking about that's the state, like that's exactly what the boys is doing. It's like, okay. yeah, the superheroes are superheroes and like generally you think of superheroes as good people but in reality like homelander is a fucking piece of shit you know so it's like i've just been making those parallels in my head throughout this episode so i've not seen that i really i, I cut prime out a, a little while ago okay yeah it's yeah. pretty so good it's pretty gory but yeah i heard i heard a description of something that happens in the first season i'm like i don't want to watch that yeah yeah no this last episode there was just people's heads exploding like every five seconds in a courtroom and i was just like "Eh, cover my eyes for a hot second (laughs) 
Anyway, sorry to digress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think oh, that you're well, digressing on this podcast <laughs> on a on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I think that's always like a cool. Well, not cool, but I think that's always an interesting thing, though. Is like there is a cross section of like games and nerd content in general that has become marketable now that this shit is mainstream. Mm. And it brings out like one of the real interesting undercurrents of like the horrors of liberalism, which is that like people feel more sympathetic to Homelander from the boys than they do to Flagbreaker from the Marvel show. Even though mm-hmm. like Homelander is like a piece of shit, rapist, fascist, racist monster. And like, it brings out this undercurrent that like, if you strap a flag on something or you give it cool yeah. guns or you make it mm-hmm. look patriotic, like average people are going to be more sympathetic to assholes than they will be to like actual radicals who have an agenda to change society that don't yeah. have all those trappings. Mm. And it's like, or that might be different, very different from you. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. It's, it's something I think, you know, it, uh, Alan Moore's Watchmen, the actual book, is all about this. Like, I think it's something that the Zack Snyder movie misses completely because Zack Snyder's a great cinematographer. He knows visual stuff, but does not do substance and misses <laughs> the point of what he's adapting all the time. Um, and I don't think the, the Watchmen TV series got it either. Uh, and that they, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good and well done, but there were elements of it where you, you missed you're taking this into a weird place that I feel like misses the point of what they were doing with Rorschach and the other character. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's good. I think this is, this is good. So it's a good place to end it. Bye. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Play Warhammer. It's fun. Yeah. If you get involved in the community, we can all, <laughs> redacted the nazis together yep. that are part of the community <laughs> yeah I, I i still probably will not get involved with the tabletop version but Absolutely the strategy not. game is very very fun on uh pc you can be the lizard men and they have they have lizard moses nice it is a big lizard with ta- with tablets that he carries around That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we leave you with Aaron's genre mashup of Judaism and any video game he plays <laughs> it is my favorite thing about every video game I hear about you playing like I play Stardew and I have a horse named Shlomo it's like hell yeah <laughs> I have a pig named Trafe. <laughs> you make it your own okay bye bye peace